Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel, and therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and in the boat upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, saying, said unto me, Unto whom thou seest the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looked upon Jesus as he was walking, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned and saw them following, and said unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? And he said unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he first findeth his own brother Simon and said unto him, We have found the Messiah which is being interpreted, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas. We'll stop there at the reading. Perhaps a little explanation is in order to make the scripture that we've read a little more understandable. You remember that John is six months older than Jesus. He'd been preaching and baptizing people who believed in that which he was preaching. But there came a time when John began to say that there's somebody else that they ought to follow and not himself. And on this occasion, there was Jesus walking down the street, and John said to his disciples, See that man? He's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. He must increase. I must decrease. When it's very difficult to say those words, almost nobody wants to decrease in importance. Everybody wants to get more importance. And that gets in the way of many people who preach and teach the gospel, who try to lead people in politics or within the church, is to feel that they are more important than anybody else and ought to be looked up to and respected more than others. And this attitude gets in the way, and when somebody increases and they begin to decrease, they take a dim view of it, and their feelings get hurt, and all those things take place. But John was one of those who pointed out Jesus and said, I, I must decrease 
my ministry must cease, his must grow. You must stop following me and start following him. Verses 33 and uh, particularly, and 35, I think are very important words. When John said, the same one who sent me to baptize with water is the same one that said to me, the one that you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon. In other words, he's saying, God who told me to go baptize with water is the same one that told me when you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon a certain individual, that same person is he that will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. I think this ought to be plain. To all those people in many churches who advocate that you have to be baptized with water in order to be saved, John is pointing out that his ministry must cease, must decrease, become less important because there is one coming who is more important and the baptizing that he is going to do is of a total different nature. It no longer was of value for people to be baptized by John. It was now important that people be baptized by Jesus. And Jesus never did baptize in water. Therefore, he's talking about a baptism that's far exceedingly more important than water baptism. It's a baptism of the Spirit. Baptized means to be submerged in or to be covered up with. That's why we go through the process of baptism as a symbol that we are being submerged in the liquid of water to symbolize the submerging in or the covering up of our total being by something different than water that is by the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Now, John then says to his disciples, Behold, that is, look at the Lamb of God. Why did he call Jesus the Lamb of God? Well, that's us. Such a you find the term the Lamb of God or the Lamb used in the book of Revelation a lot. And of course, John wrote the book of Revelation. John refers to him many, many, many times as the Lamb of God. Why? What is there about the term Lamb that came from God that has any value to it? I think we need to go back to the Old Testament a little bit, to, to Genesis. In the 22nd chapter, we have the story of Abraham and Isaac, Isaac being the only uh, little son of Abraham by Sarah. They had no children, and finally God said that they would have a son, and, and he would be the heir to, of, of Abraham, and he would be the one who would uh, produce a tremendous nation from which would come the Savior. Well, on one occasion, God said to Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac, and I want you to go to a place that I'll show you, and there I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. The name of the mountain to, move to which 
God sent Abraham as Moriah. There are many Bible scholars who believe that Mount Moriah was the exact same spot as Mount Calvary. And there was a forerunner on a sign of what was to take place on that very spot some years down the road from Abraham's time. And God took Isaac to that mountain, and as they went, Isaac carried on his back the wood for the fire, and they had a on fire in their hand, and were going to the place of sacrifice. And, and Isaac says to Abraham, Father, we have the fire, and we have the wood, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham responded, God will provide. Well, you know the story, how that he found Isaac and put him on the altar, was ready to kill him when God stopped his hand, and they found a lamb, a ram, caught by its horns in the bushes nearby, and it became the sacrifice. There's some things about a lamb, and I'll just mention two tonight, that are important in relationship to Jesus. Number one, a lamb is probably as innocent an animal as one possibly can imagine. Every uh, baby animal has that innocent uh, expression and way about them. A, a lion cub is, is very cuddly and all those things. Uh, but I don't know of anything that is more innocent than a lamb. I used to raise sheep on the farm several years ago, and I've spent many hours leaning on a fence post watching the lambs in their carefree attitude running back and forth in absolute innocence and delight. They never thought of anything down the road. They didn't know that they had come into the world for slaughter. But they would come and they would grow old enough and be nice and sleek and fat and weigh about 100 to 110 pounds and somebody would load them on a truck and take them to the slaughterhouse and there they would be killed in order to feed the population. They would stand in the line for the slaughter. Their hearts would not be beating fast. They were absolutely innocent and unaware as to what was about to take place. They died in absolute innocence. And this describes Jesus well, I think, in that he was completely and perfectly innocent. He did not have to die, for he had done nothing amiss. He died for someone else. And of course, that someone is you, and it's me. For we are not as the thief on the cross said to the other thief, this man has done nothing wrong. We're guilty, but he is not. That describes Jesus completely and fully in that he, in perfect innocence, without in the slightest blot of sin, with no need to ever die, for he had done nothing wrong, he was completely and perfectly accepted to God, he did not have to die, though the wages of sin is death. He did not need to die, for he did not have to pay the price for his own sin. We either pay the price for our own sin or accept the substitute of the innocent lamb. And this was the process in the Old Testament. They would take a lamb and kill it and spill its blood on the altar in behind the uh, huge grave across the temple, and as its blood was shed there, and its flesh was broken, and, and uh, burned by on the, on the altar, 
prophesied, literally symbolizing that the innocence of this lamb has been sacrificed in order that the sins of the people God would forgive. Jesus died as an innocent lamb on the cross in order that God would be appeased for our sin. And all we have to do to have his blood and his broken body cover our sin is accepted. Not one work do we have to do to gain it, to earn it. All right. The second thing that we see about the character of the lamb is a very gentle. Very gentle. This is a description of Jesus through and through. There was nobody more gentle than he. It's interesting to me that even people who claim to be his followers see no need to be gentle like he was gentle. How many ruthless Christian people are there? Who see nothing wrong in ridicule and blaspheming? Who will tear somebody's character apart? Who will be mean and ugly and feel that somebody else must be their standard or else they're lost? all these things. When Jesus stood as a lamb before his shoes, he was dumb, he never opened his mouth, never uttered a cry. He treated everybody with so much gentleness. When the poor woman was taking her son out to bury him, he felt compassion for and restored her son to him to her. When the woman was taken into gross sin of immorality and brought before him was the charge that she ought to be stoned. He never looked at the finger of stone. He was compassionate and gentle. Children dropped him and he held him in his arms. He never scolded nor ridiculed those who were ignorant or sinful, but always was willing to forgive and talk forgiveness and compassion and love. Never did he turn his back upon anybody who asked the first thing of him. He gave it. Then to compare the harshness that so many express today, it's hard to believe that we're following a meeting Christ. By the actions of his followers, we could not believe that he could do that. We might believe that we're following the actions or the patterns of some Eastern dictator whose idea is to stand out in the body who opposes his view. But we do not claim to be following that type of leader. We follow one who is very, very gentle and sweet and passionate and kind. And that ought to be our attitude as well. When he went to the cross, we sing a hymn the choir does very often. One of the best ones I think the choir does. You could have called ten thousand angels, but he died alone for you and me. Do you realize that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the armies of heaven were ready to move at his command? That was never given. He had only to call out. And Gabriel or Michael or whoever leads the armies would have been at his side. And never once 
I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. And if the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. If the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Why did Jesus come? Is to make us free from sin. Behold the Lamb of God, John said, takes away the sin of the world. Now I want to, in just a few moments, talk about taking away. What does that really mean? Three things I want you to notice about taking away. Take notes, you might like to take notes on these three things. I'll, say, I'll just say five or six words for all you need to write down. To take away means to lift. As if one were under tremendous pressure. I remember when I was nine years old, I had my tonsils taken out. Back in those days, they used ether. I'm glad they don't do that anymore. When they put me on that table and that nurse, I've never been to hospital before, never seen a nurse before, never seen that thing that they had facing me, and they put it right on over my face and over my nose. And I began to have the worst feeling that I had ever had in my life, tremendous pressure. And I begged the nurse, take it away just a little bit, and she would move it away just a second. Back to the front again. I'd say, take it away. And she would take it away and it would come back again. I felt tremendous pressure that something was engulfing me and I couldn't control the outcome. Of course, I finally went out of it and they did the complexity and all of that sort of thing. But I remember the pressure and begging me to take it away. I don't know if any of you have claustrophobia. But if you've ever been in a position where you are crowded in and you possibly can't move, and you at least can imagine that, and you would beg for relief because of the tremendous pressure that's squeezing in on you, and life does that to us. We feel squeezed. How many times have we said that? We feel squeezed. And we beg for relief. Please, take it away. That's exactly what Jesus does. He takes away the pressure of life upon us sets us free. That's the truth. The second thing that taking away can be interpreted to me is to carry. Carry. All of us have carried heavy loads. Many times we have gone down the road or through the house carrying something extremely heavy and we are burdened down with it or over our shoulder have a heavy load and somebody comes along and says, here, let me help you, and they take the load. Oh, how good it feels when the burden has been taken away and somebody's carrying it for us. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says, come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When I was a kid, my uncle had a pair of horses named Bonnie and Tarzan. Probably today we call them Bonnie and Clyde, but I remember the names well as Bonnie and Tarzan. Bonnie was a female horse, and she was absolutely the laziest horse I ever tried to work in all my life. Tarzan was a robust, energetic fellow. He didn't care what he told. You asked him, and he was told. 
And so when Bonnie and Tarzan were hitched up together and going down the road, Bonnie just walked along, just sounded around, because Tarzan carried the load. She didn't have to do He carried his load and her share as well, and she just enjoyed life, just went along as the other partner in the team. Ladies, I can remember many stories about her, but Jesus says, Joke up with me. Get in the heart of the me, and I'll be the Tarzan. I'll carry the load, and yours will be very easy and light. That's what that verse is saying. Put on the joke that Jesus asks. Get in the harness with him, for he will carry the load. That's what it means to he will take away the sin. He will carry the load. There will be no penalty for sin at the judgment because Jesus has already carried it away. And thirdly, to take away means to bear away, that is to get separated from, to go somewhere else with it. Back in Leviticus in the 16th chapter and in that vicinity, we have the story of the scapegoat. We use that term, that was a real old testament term. Those two goats in a ceremony. One of the goats they would kill and sacrifice the blood and, and so on for the sins of the congregation. The other goats they would bring before the congregation and everybody would come up and put their hands on them. And that goat symbolically took my sin and everybody else's sin, your sin, and it went to the goat. Left me, left all the rest of it, went to the goat. Then they would take that goat out in the desert and turn it loose. They wandered and could have died. It was called the scapegoat. It carried away the sins of all the people. Left them free of their sin because there was a substitute that took the sin and carried it away. This is Jesus. He not only lifts our burden off us, he not only carries the weight of everyday life, but he goes a step further and he takes the burden of our lives, of our particular sin of our life, and he carries it totally away, separated from us, where will be remembered no more. It will be buried in the depths of the sea, hidden behind his back. All the places to indicate that it is not there anymore. Here's one thing we have not grasped very well. Brothers, when God forgives sin, he forgets that there ever was a sin. There is no more. We're treated as if it never happened. We're the ones that bring it up again and talk about it, and regurgitate it, and hash it over, and charge everybody else with it. We point to that person, and that person, and that person, and say, look what they did, look what, and you couldn't find that on God's record, no matter how hard you tried, in many cases, because that person had had their sin carried away by the blood of Jesus Christ. He became the scapegoat who assumed the burden and the weight of all the sin, and carried it away. What is forgiven is forgiven. Why can't we do that? If God forgives sin, why don't we? If God forgets, why can't we? Why do we want to bring it back up again and keep charging somebody over and over for ourselves? Some people can never forgive themselves. And rehash and rehash all of the sin, but it's forgiven, it's been atoned for, and it's been forgotten in God's eyes. That's the land of God, that's all. I don't have to worry about a single sin for which I have asked forgiveness. It doesn't exist anymore. So don't worry about it. It's gone. 
you can have asked God's forgiveness for. Behold, the land of God that takes away, carries, becomes a scapegoat for your sin. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.